noticed how many new faces and how many young faces are sitting up in this orchestra pit and in this music team. want to be a downer. But God made a statement a few years ago. Messed things up. And he basically come a day when you are going to die. So everybody look at your neighbor and say, you have an expiration date. Okay? The problem is, is that we don't know exactly when that expiration date is. And because of that, we as humans have a tendency to forget that we have an expiration date. If you want anything meaningful in life to occur, this is to us. Oh, they're messy. They're noisy. It's not we're so smart. It's just they're so dumb. They don't realize that we just can follow what they're doing. But those children... Because all of us have an expiration date. Every single one of us is going to die and then the judgment. Obvious statement. I'm not saying Regina's dying tomorrow or I'm dying. But you have to continue to grow. And so I, people within the team and young people in the team is exciting to me. But I said Regina's being modest because anytime you grow children, people, or you move in transitions, work involved. Can I get an amen, parents? <laughs> so... Regina, you may not have had anything to do this morning, but I have to live with you. You've had plenty that you've been doing. Either that or you're lying to me about why we can't spend more time together. <laughs> you like spending time with me, so I don't think you're lying to me. That's why I love this woman. She's the only person on this he chose Okay, Steve, time for you to go home. Uh, no, I'm very excited. I was seeing all kinds of folks. and You know, it's amazing. You find out people can do things you didn't even know they could do. It's amazing. So I'm very proud of them. Good job, guys. And any of the bumps and the squeaks and the crackles and all of those kinds of things are all part of growth. They're all part of learning to walk and run and achieve and Remember in school, you never got good grades on tests until you also struggled with the homework, and then you got grades on tests. Um, I don't know. First of all, also welcome back to all of you from if you were traveling over Christmas like myself. I want to add my welcome to you. You may have been back last week, um, and so I welcome you. I'm glad that you're here, and it's good to see you. Welcome to all of our online guests as well and viewers. I know we're in crazy season. And and so those of you that are at home because either you are being more cautious, which I fully respect and support, 
or perhaps you're sick. You don't even know if it's COVID, but you're sick and you're following what I you to do. Thank you. And uh, let me just remind everybody that so far, I think our plan is still working. If you're sick, stay home, watch online, and we get confirmed cases of COVID. We will, if I get multiples of those, we will shut down for one week. But thankfully, we have not had to do that yet. And so I'm thankful for that. Continue to be careful, folks. Um, I know it's tough. I know we're tired of it. I know we want something new and normal. Um, and I want to respect your right to make the choices about how you're going to handle your health care. But please, be careful. I love you. I know you have an expiration date, but I don't want it to be this year. Can I get an amen? All right. So we're in agreement on that. Let's, let's push it off a year. Let's extend that as well. Amen. Um, thank you for allowing me to travel with my family. We are in a weird season. For those of you that don't know, I have five children. It may be getting harder to keep track of them. Uh, it was good to have Vincent home a little bit and also to go and spend time together with the family. Our normal annual vacation in Vermont, which we will keep, Vincent can't be with us. He's only going to be able to come in for like two days because of his Ph.D. program. And so our family's kind of breaking apart. It's kind of heading in different directions. We knew this was coming. In fact, you've heard me for years say I don't want my children living at home forever. I want them out. But in that transition, I appreciate the extra time afforded me to focus uh, some special time with my family. And, uh, and also, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, I, I, I'm a unique character. Has anybody noticed that, that, I, uh, that I'm a unique character? I, I've, yeah, I, I hear a few snorts and a few amens there. Um, so we were at a minister's retreat. I'm going to get to my sermon in just a moment. But I, uh, we were at a minister's retreat Friday and Saturday, so this, this last two days. And one of the things they talked about was personality, and not just how you act, but also how others perceive you and, and how they can relate to you. And there's a host of them out there. If you've ever done research about this, there's all kinds of ways that we humans are trying to understand ourselves. And it shouldn't surprise us that it takes us some time doing that because we are created in the image and likeness of God. We're kind of complex. We are the most complex creation that that has been created within this earth to reflect male and female together, the image and the glory of God. And uh, so if anybody ever tries to tear you down, I need you to remember you are reflecting a piece of God. Don't accept it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and, uh, but we're unique. We're different. Everybody notice that your neighbor's different. We're, we tend to marry people that are different than us. And, and we marry them intentionally for that, and then we can't stand them for it at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? I, I just want that piece changed. Well, if you change that piece, this changes. Well, no, I want to keep that. Well, it doesn't work that way. And so we get frustrated with everything. But anyway, one of those tools that our speaker uh, was presenting to us was the DISC personality test. And basically, it means that there's these different questions that they, they have psychologically learned to ask about your preferences and how you deal with things. And they come up with four, four types of people. One is dominance, which is kind of characterized as somebody who's very direct, strong-willed, and forceful. Second one is influence. Somebody's very sociable, very talkative, very lively. Third one is steadiness, somebody who's gentle, accommodating, soft-hearted, and then finally, the last C in the DISC, D-I-S-C, C is conscientiousness, or they're very private, they're analytical, and they're logical. Now, you, you, you all, I'm sure you all know what I am, right? Right, I, I'm steadiness, right? Gentle, accommodating, and soft-hearted. No? 
well, I, I'm conscientious then, right? I'm, I'm analytical and logical. Yeah, no. Well, how many agree I'm a dominance? Yeah, it, it's it's pretty clear that I am a dominant force. Well, this is how most people who who know me and where Steve, they'll look at me. Tornadoes, hurricanes, these are forces of nature. So anyway, part of you understanding, I want you to understand big picture, we are coming in the month of March, the first Sunday in March will be our annual business meeting. And folks, I don't want you to stay home from this, but I also want to be honest in my advertising. That is not going to be a short meeting. There's no way for us to do it. Number one, I need to give you a financial report over two years. Now, I will give you a two-year financial report. I'm not going to give you two one-year reports. I'm going to give you a a two-year financial report, all right? You'll be able to drill down just as you have always been able to into any of the details in each of the years, but I will give you a two-year report. So that should help us a little bit. I'm not going to present to you two conclusions or two successive conclusions. I'm going to give you the picture. We were unable to have an annual business meeting last year, all right? So we have to cover that. But then we also have these two important resolutions where you as a congress in this time of transition, whether in fact you support us exploring and changing the name, and the second is is whether you support or disagree, whichever one, with regard to when my time comes to officially resign or to step away, as I've indicated to you that God has said is coming, are you willing to have me be succeeded by a pastoral team? Both of these resolutions, you need to understand, do not change anything. There's no official change that happens from them. They are my mechanism to get from you your wishes. I don't want to do the work. Call me lazy, call me whatever. I don't want to do the legal work. I don't want to do the legwork. I don't want to do all the work of a name change, changing of articles of incorporation, and changing of bylaws if you all then, when I bring it officially to the meeting, are going to vote it down. That seems to me inefficient. And simply to get a read from you as a congregation. Then when we come to you with the official name, when we come to you with the actual copies of the new Articles of Incorporation, when we come to you with the actual, not just drafts, but actual proposed new bylaws, that is where you will again have the ability to vote yes or no. But you will then be able to, that will put it into motion. That will have a time date stamp on it. That will take the legal action. So this meeting is meant to give you a chance to indicate, based upon our communication over the last several months, your sense and how you feel. And so not only have I already been traveling, but at the end of January and across the much of the first half of February, I'm going to be gone again. I'm not leaving you. I haven't gotten a new gig. I don't know where I'm going yet. I know I'm dominant. When I'm in a room, it's different than when I'm not. Now, I hope you don't take that as me being full of myself. I hope you take that as somebody being honest. And I want to create the space for you all to be able to, in prayer, Seek the face of God and not be overly influenced by my voice, by my presence, 
for those very important indications at that first Sunday. I believe it's March 6th, that first Sunday in March, okay? So I want to explain that to you. I want you to understand I worked with the pastoral team and told them I want to be here for several months. You'll notice across the months of October and November, first half of December, I went nowhere. I was around. I was present. I was here. I've talked with many of you individually. We've cried together. Some of you still cry every time you see me, and it's okay. And I kind of get teared up too, and we, and we grieve together. But I also felt that as, as that can continue, that there needed to be a little bit of space that the pastoral team could do its work, and they're doing a great job. I'm very pleased with a lot of the things that are happening. Whether I were staying or leaving, we'd be walking down this path, so I haven't deviated from that. But I want to give you space where my presence and my dominance, which has been a strength but can also be a weakness, that it not overly influence or control because I genuinely want you as a congregation to hear what I've shared with you, pray, and then vote what you feel should be. I trust you. I believe in you. And so I want to create the space for that to happen. So in a, I was scheduled to be gone even longer. Next, In fact, this Friday I was scheduled to leave for Ghana to go teach for a week, but I did not, I felt checked in my spirit that that was not wise. And so our trip, Dr. Brickle and I were going to go and teach for a week in Ghana, and I have canceled that trip. I am not going to Ghana, given everything's happening in the world, and, and somewhat I don't even have an explanation. I just feel it in my spirit. Now is not the time to be going to Ghana. And so that trip has been canceled, and uh, we'll see whether that gets scheduled in the Pray for the church in Ghana because they're having to adjust to that. They were expecting us to come in and teach their faculty there for a week. Um, but they've been very gracious about it. And I appreciate uh, missionary Nick Sisko um, and then also Reverend Mpati, who's the president of the school there in Accra. Uh, they were very gracious and understanding of Dr. Brickle and I uh, in choosing this. And so I give you that as an example that, folks, you're going to have to keep light on your feet. You're going to have to keep adjusting to life as things change and as we face things. And we're going to do our best to communicate to you and to be up front with you about it. And uh, God's been faithful through all of it. He has been faithful. Uh, I know that it was mentioned because I was with you live, uh, you know, online. I was with the services. And uh, I know they mentioned to you that we had our second highest Christmas giving offering. Thank you for your faithfulness in that. Over $15,000 you gave to Jesus, and that is just an You were faithful. Now, I happen to know that you can't be faithful if God's not faithful. Amen? But I also know that God can be faithful, and then we can be unfaithful. And uh, so thank you for being faithful. And I will also tell you, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag just slightly. We'll give you more details at the annual business meeting. You set a new record year in contributions. Highest giving year ever in the history of Newark United Pentecostal Church. 2019 was a great year. This one was even better. And I know that a lot of that, what broke us over the 2019 record, was your faithfulness in giving in missions, your absolute generosity uh, to Marcus going to Guatemala and the Lugos going to uh, Vanuatu your continued faithfulness in our monthly PIMs, 
For those of you that are new to us, every intermediate and long-term missionary, full-time missionary in the United Pentecostal Church receives monthly contribution from us, and that's what you see on those walls. That happens because each of you are our local faith in the black, and uh, our normal operations we were able to pay for from what you contributed. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. And then God was so good to us across these past two years. Who would have known going into COVID that God was going to drop 270 some thousand dollars of outside money to help us put some things on our property in order, our sanctuary. And so God has been good. Amen. He's been good to us. He's been good to us. Now, are we, uh, uh, are, we, are we skinnier than we've been before? Oh, yeah, we're at fighting weight now. There ain't fat going on right now. Now, what that means is all of you are important. Some of you online, oh, you're important, okay? You matter. And then God, getting ready, tends to skinny down. Anybody notice that trend in Scripture? When God's getting ready to do something, skinny down. Now, I'll just tell you honestly, I don't want to be part of the fat that gets trimmed. So in the bone, I do not want to be trimmed by God. So you have the power to understand out of it. have learned long enough with God that when God is about to do something great, something small. Five loaves and two fish. What is that among so many? Jesus says, oh, watch me. Watch me. Watch what I can do with this. When he wants to set the world on fire, about 120. Don't you need thousands? No, just about 120. Well, you had thousands. Yeah, I know, but they're, they're, they're wandering around. I'll work on them later. Well, you had 500 at your ascension. Yeah, I know. Some of them got distracted, got hungry, got whatever. 120 will do. So, folks, don't despise God's economy and process. Make your choice to be a part of the greatest story that has ever been written. Footnote. You just want to be in the main in the greatest story that's ever been told. And uh, I am so excited. I already complained to Donald that he waited till I was out of town to get baptized. And Barbara, are so sweet. He waited. You need something, Kenny? Arash, did you hijack? You did. You stinker. We're good, Kenny. Thank you. Actually, Barbara didn't do that for me. She wanted warm water, and we got you warm water. See, I knew. I knew. But I am so glad to be here. It's exciting when people are being baptized in Jesus' name. Amen? It is the saving name that is above every other name. 
There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. No greater name than the name of Jesus. So to all of you online, welcome. It's good to see you. To those of you that are here in person, good to see you. Sylvia, so good to see your sister with you. Welcome back. Good to have you visiting. And uh, to all of you, I love you much. And uh, this may be my last vision message. I don't know. Everybody has an expiration date. That's a sermon I need to preach sometime. But anyway, that's not this morning. But I, I really, I wondered whether I even had a vision message for this year. You know, the last few years I've always come to you. And in the past, most of my vision messages are a little different than today's because I've come with a vision that God has, has revealed, has shown, has, has placed in my heart. It's based in Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, this is going to sound a little arrogant, but I'll be honest with you, I knew what was going to happen in that year. And when I preached to you, I... I didn't say I knew everything, but I knew what was going to happen in that year. And over the last few years, that's exactly what's happened. God has been faithful to his word, and what I have cast vision to you for, we have made those steps forward. This year's is a little different. This one I see the vision, but I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't have the particulars, the certainty of the past is not there. Yet, I would argue to you that when God begins to move into the areas where we see through a glass darkly, where things are not as certain, where things are not as clear, I would submit to you that perhaps even more than the years of clarity and the years of certainty we are, in fact, walking into the time and the space where God is about to fulfill his vision because his visions are never small enough for us to grasp. If God's visions for you as an individual and for me and for us as a corporate body do not scare us because they are bigger than us. Then as I've preached to you several years ago in Chase the Lion series, those visions are not from God. God is a big God. I don't know if any of you have noticed that we recently launched into space a, a, a telescope that is supposed to now push the edges of anything we've ever been able to see before. In fact, the scientists who think they can figure out from the physical remains how the earth was created and how our world was created think they may be able to push out and see our very beginnings. I smile to myself as that goes because all that we are doing is still trying to see God's throne. Not even his throne room, not even his house, not even his larger estate. No, just the space he sits on. And any of you who know earth sciences and who love to climb mountains or love to dig down into the dirt or love to go down into the sea, that's his footstool. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to understand and realize that God is a really big God. 
He's not unaware of the small thing. He's not unaware of that which is very minuscule. He's the one who created the atomic and subatomic particles. But please understand that when God is in motion, God is never limited. That's why he's omniscient and he's omnipotent and he's omnipresent. That means he has no limitations of time or space. This God we serve does Big things across millennia with thousands and millions and billions of people. So if you want to be a part of this great story, which I desperately want to continue to be a part of this story, you've got to make peace with the reality that when God does pull back the curtain and when he begins to speak to you, even in limited fashion, the visions he has for you, And the visions he has for you as a part of his church. Like I said to you in Chase the Lion series, it's kind of like, as Batterson put it, when the optic nerve carries the signal of the lion to the brain, everything in you says, run! It's scary because we're out of control. We don't have the mechanism to deal with this set of circumstances. We don't even have the ability to understand what we're dealing with, let alone to have the solution. And yet, as I preached to you, though, several years ago, God has demonstrated crystal clear multiple times within the Scriptures, He is the lion tamer. He has no problem with lions. The scary part is, is when He asked me to fight them. That's the part that's a little unnerving. But that's the part where we've got to trust that we're not in the pit alone, even when it feels alone. That we're not in that circumstance alone, even though we can't hear him. That is when we've got to trust and put confidence in God that he is with us, whether he's speaking or he's quiet, whether we feel his presence Or we have faith with no proof that he's with us. So today I want to talk to you, and I'm going to use a particular story. I'm not going to use any scripture text. You're going to know the story. I will cite different elements of the story. But today I want to talk to you about what is absolutely essential for this year. You and I are going to have to operate this year with radical reliance. Radical reliance. Joyce, come on. Have confidence. I gave you your cue. Radical reliance. The eyes of the lion there, those of you that were here for Chase the Lion series, you recognize that's that lion, that impressive lion that basically is meant to cause fear when we see a lion because we don't want to mess with that. If ever the lions have been breathing down our neck, they're breathing down our neck this year. But ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, can I remind you that the moments moments of greatest victory in this great story we're a part of happen in the pit 
on a snowy day with a lion. It doesn't happen in those other places. In fact, a lot of the other things that have occurred before are the preparation stages that lead to that moment that under the unction and direction of God, you are called to overcome something. You are called to do something. You are called to shift something. You are called to change something within your life. And it is so big that unless God shows up with you, you're going to be eaten alive. And part of how God prepares us and places us in this kind of circumstance is he cuts away all of our security nets. He cuts away all the pieces that prop us up, that make us feel comfortable, that give us sufficiency in ourselves and autonomy in ourselves. It lets us feel comfortable. I like being comfortable. I am not a camper. Some of you like to go camping. You know why I don't like to go camping? I love the beauty of nature. But I want to be cushy. If camping means getting a huge RV and driving it up someplace that has good Wi-Fi, running water, good sewer, and electric and parking it by that beautiful, pristine creek or river, and enjoying the mountains around it. I'm all for camping. But you and I both know that that's not camping. I would submit to you that all of us, even those of you who like to camp, when it comes to our lives, we like the comfortable. We like that which allows us to feel in control. Even if we're not in control, at least we have the illusion of it. We like that which allows us to think everything's okay. We don't like to be in jeopardy. We don't like to be at risk. God has been faithful over the last two years, and yet all of us are fatigued and tired because of the risk that we've lived with. No matter what your position about the pandemic is, no matter how much you believe that it's been inflated or not inflated, doesn't matter. Everybody has experienced the stress of the unknown. And I'm not here to lecture you about, everybody knows where I'm at about the pandemic. You know how I've handled that. That's not my point. We all are under stress because we like to know what's going on and we like to be in control of what's going on. So let's talk about a singular character in this greatest story that's ever been told. The Apostle Paul tells us that all of us are grafted into that story, that particular lineage and that person. So that Middle Eastern man that you see walking there is not a Rosh. But is meant to characterize the man I want to spend a little bit of time drawing your attention to. His name is Abraham. We need to go back to this story afresh. We need to go back and, and, and hear this story through eyes if you were Abraham. 
a God he does not know. I'm, I'm having enough trouble believing the God that I know. A God that he does not know speaks to him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I don't, I'm not shaming any of you, okay? But how many of you, within the sound of my voice, have never left North America? Please raise your hand. Until you leave North America, because I'm telling you, Canada don't count. Our Canadian neighbors are so kind and so nice. They're, they're our better angels. They act better than we do. So it doesn't count. Until you leave your country, there's a real sense that you do not understand how many things you take for granted and are secure about that suddenly they smack you in the face. And I'm not talking about that you got to go to the crazy places that Regina and I have gone. I'm talking about you go to regular places. You go to another country, you're going to smack into different language. People don't understand you. You're going to run into different currency. Your money don't work the same. You're going to run into different cultures. They don't value the same things you value. You're going to run into different food. Even if you are in a first world country or a, 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 a developed country, you're going to have a very intimate relationship with your toilet because the water's different. Not bad, just different. And your body goes, whoa, I don't like this. I need to flush it. Let alone... You go to a country that does have bad water, well, that, then, then it's rightfully flushing it. There are so many things that leaving your country means. You're known, your power, your connection. But God didn't stop there. He says, I want you to leave your country. He says, I want you to leave your relatives. And I want you to understand that in a Middle Eastern context, relatives is a really big term. Don't think small family. Think the whole network. So I think for us in North America, a better language would be, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, all your established norms, all your givens, all the things that you can assume, and I want you to leave your network. All of your resources, all the people that you can draw upon, all of the different things that are, are, are able to enable you to carry out life, I want you to leave that. But he didn't stop there. He said, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your relatives, and I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave those that you love. I want you to go away from those who you, when it's time to spend time with people, this is who you want to spend time with. This is who you vacation with. This is who you share your, your, your biggest victories and your worst losses with. I want you to leave them. Now, I, I imagine this in, in, in the means of a, of a job interview. Well, what do I get out of it? 
What's on the other side? This God who's speaking to me. What's on the other side of this equation? And God says to him, he says, I'll show you a country. Well, could I have a name? No, I'll show you. Could I have some specifics? No, I'll show you. Could I have some details? No, I'll show you. But if you do this, Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. I'll make you the greatest nation that has ever existed on this earth. In fact, I will make you such a great nation that all of those who curse you will be cursed and all of those who bless you will be blessed. Every single person in the world will be impacted by you. That's a ludicrous promise. I'm surprised Abraham followed God. I'm surprised he did it. My dear brothers and sisters, I have come to you over the last several years with message after message that is just as ludicrous. Humanly, you would be in your right mind to say, not me. And some have. But I'm looking at every one of you, and I'm looking at myself. I believe in this God so much that I would rather fail believing him than succeed without him. And that is radical reliance. Think about the story of Abraham. So, so he hears from this God. And we know that he doesn't do it perfectly. And that's encouraging. I hope you're encouraged by that because God, while he corrected him, and while there were costs to be paid, God didn't abandon him. I also, am, as I've thought about this over the last several months, because the Lord's placed this on my heart several months ago, and I've, I've just been really letting it marinate within my spirit and, and making sure that this really is what I was supposed to bring to you today. But as I've thought about this, I've, I've been a little kinder towards Abraham, you know, because I've made fun of Abraham. So, you know, he comes to Egypt, and he's got a beautiful wife. Sarah's supposed to be a beautiful wife, and, and she's his half-sister. And so Abraham, Abraham's very selfish. Abraham's afraid that the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, is going to, going to kill him to take his wife. You know, kings are known to do that. And so Abraham says, Sarah, would you mind saying you're my sister? And, of course, you know what happens. A pharaoh takes her, and, and then God, of course, is quite angry about this, and so strikes Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh's really mad now. So then he comes back to Abraham and says, why didn't you tell me? And, and, and he kicks him out. And I've made fun of Abraham because then Abraham does it again. He didn't just do it once. He did it twice. So he goes to the king of the Philistines, and he does the same thing again. And of course, the same thing happens where, you know, God strikes the king and his household, and then, sure enough, kicks him out. 
this is a guy, I, I'm, I'm feeling a little less judgmental of Abraham these days. I don't, I don't know. Maybe some of you are also there. I'm feeling just a little less judgmental because I really want to help God this year. I got ideas on how this year can go. And part of my ideas are because I just want to know something. I just kind of want to have a timetable. I just kind of want to have something definite. But part of it is also that I, I, I think I'm a really smart guy and I could help God out. Now, maybe some of you are not quite so arrogant to think that you can help God out. I'm going to tell you, you are. Every one of you, I pastor you, okay? Every one of you is. It's just how you express it. You don't use my verbiage, but you still, in your own way, help God out. Go back and check your prayers the last month. How much of your prayers have been, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? And how much of your prayers have been, Lord, I need this and this and this. Lord, we need you to do this and this and this. Ooh, I better hide behind the pulpit right now. It's not a very big pulpit, so, but. I know I'm dominant. I understand I'm forceful. Just because your personality is different doesn't mean that you and I aren't in the same boat struggling to help God out. So I'm feeling a little less critical of Abraham that he listened to Sarah and he, and he, and he, and he consummated a relationship with Hagar and he tried to have a child to jumpstart the promise because I've, I've left my country. I've left my relatives. I've left my family, and I'm wandering, and I don't know where I'm going. And he said he's going to make me a great nation, but that can't happen if I don't have a kid. And Sarah and I, I mean, it ain't working. We've been at it a lot of years. There's no kid happening. I'm feeling a little less critical of Abraham as he tries to help God out. But I want you to understand that despite those few moments, those examples I've already cited, there's probably a few others that I'm leaving out for sake of time, where Abraham was not relying upon God, but was trying to make it happen according to his wisdom, make it happen according to his culture, make it happen according to his resources. I also find that the man did leave his country. And he left his relatives. And ultimately, he left his father's house. His father died in Haran. And ultimately, he split from Lot. Folks, I don't know if you know the geography, but Abraham was an agrarian man. He had flocks and herds. Lot took the place that would feed them and left Abraham with mountains. As much as he doubted God in Egypt and in the Philistine, as much as he struggled to leave his father, and, and, and I see a man who turned to those mountains And walked with God, wandered with him as God led him. 
I see a man that after God performs the great miracle. See, this is the danger. God has done amazing things in our midst. God has been so good to me. He's been so good to you. God was so good to Abraham. He multiplied his flocks and herds. And he gave him a son, a miraculous son. But then comes the moment, are we still willing to wander with this God? Are we still willing to do what he says to do? Are we willing to jump into the pits when he directs us to? Are we willing to have radical reliance? And I know that God had an agenda to correct Abraham's understanding of child sacrifice. But I also see a man, Hebrews tells us, that when God said to him, give me your son, your only son, go and sacrifice him upon Mount Moriah, Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed God so radically that he was prepared to kill his own son, believing having moved to such a place of radical belief and reliance upon God that Hebrew says he believed that after he killed his son, God would raise him from the dead. You see, we read raised him from the dead. We read that in the New Testament. We read that after the stories of Lazarus. And we read that after the stories of Elisha. But you've got to understand, there is nothing in Abraham's background. There is nothing in his context. There is nothing in his experience that tells him that this God can even raise somebody from the dead. But he had moved to a place, and he had been obedient to the best of his ability, that he had become so radically reliant that if God said it, we'll do it. And since I I know this son is the promised son and he promised me that it would be a great nation, then he's going to have to do something and the something's going to have to be that he raises him from the dead. This is the man that James said, God counted his faith as righteousness. This is the one who Paul said, we all, Israel and Gentile, are grafted into Father Abraham. He stands singularly in this greatest story ever told. So my brothers and my sisters, this year, requires us in the face of the lion to have radical reliance. At that moment when you begin to grope for that which you can hold on to, to the best of your ability, turn to him. In the moment when you're looking for the answers that you can Discover with your mind. And I am preaching at two levels. I believe this message applies to us individually. I believe some of you are facing things that are about you, you, your individual personhood, or your individual family, or things that you're facing. But I'm also speaking to us collectively. We have never done what we will do this upcoming We have never done what we will do this upcoming year.
And the temptation for all of us, whether at a personal level or our corporate level, is to turn to that which we know, to turn to that which we are familiar with, and to help God out. My message to you today my message to each of us individually, that my message to me today, can we choose to chase the lion? Can we choose to be that crazy man who on a snowy day, I don't even know what his reason was, chased that lion, cornered it in a pit, then jumped down in the pit, and slayed it. Now, for those of you that haven't heard that series, we're really not talking about killing lions. Because the lions we speak of, it's an image. The lions we speak of are anything that threatens the vision God has for you. That fear that you feel, that unknown that you feel, that physical illness that you feel, that disappointment that you feel, that change that's terrifying you, that uncomfortable circumstance, that sacrifice, you fill in the blank. These are the lions who bear their fangs at us. And the enemy of our soul attempts to use them to intimidate us. And I'm calling this congregation, I'm not correcting this congregation. I'm calling you again, afresh, anew, with emphasis. This is the year that if we are to do what God has called us to do, if his vision for us is to come to pass, we're going to have to go for broke. No safety nets. No helping God out. It's a free fall unless he shows up. The lion eats us alive. Now, I will tell you, it's momentary, so don't look at me as if I got it together, but there are moments in this process that, 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 that I'm there. Now, there, it's very momentary. It only lasts a few minutes. But in those moments, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. There is a freedom like you ain't ever felt in that place. There is a joy like you have never felt in that place. It's unexplainable. There is a peace that passeth all understanding in those moments. Because whether you realize it or not, you're taking more responsibility for your life than what you can. You don't know when you're going to die. I'm not trying to be dark and I'm not trying to be mean, but your expiration date is not in your hands. 
And the one in whose hands it is has told us he's not going to tell us when it is. None of us know when the end is, not only for ourselves, but for this world and for the church. We don't know what God's doing. We don't know the timing of it. So what if we could get to the place where we literally will do just what he tells us to do and everything else is in his hands? There's a peace there. There's a quiet there. There's a calm there. Now, I'm telling you right now, I don't hold on to it 24 hours a day. I'm telling you right now, I don't even hold on to it for hours. I just have momentary minutes, Sister Debbie, just a few minutes that I can sit there and I can feel it. And I'm calling to all of you, don't condemn yourself when you find yourself fearful. Don't condemn yourself when you feel overwhelmed. Don't condemn yourself when you feel messed up. Abraham had his problems too, and God continued to walk with Abraham. God continued to guide Abraham. God still called him the father of the faithful. God still counted his faith as righteousness. But when you catch yourself not relying upon him, some of you are afraid of what this pandemic is going to do to you or your family. There's a lion. I'm calling to you this morning. Put, put that into the hands of Jesus. You can still care, but you can, you can let the fear go. I'm not telling you not to be careful. I'm not telling you not to take steps. Some of you are afraid of what's going to happen as you grow older. You can trust your heavenly father that he will be faithful to you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You good people, you are the ones who are committed. Those of you online and here, you are the ones that are committed. You've not cut and run. <laughs> Whatever the pandemic cut, my announcement cut the rest. Let's be honest. That's why I argued with God. I'm like, God, these people are already hurting. No, you're committed. You love this place. You love the mission of this place. When you find yourself fearful and saying, God, what are you doing to us? I want you to see those yellow eyes. I want you to look at him and say, get thee behind me, Satan. We will either fly or crash based on God showing up. We will not try to help him. <laughs> Musicians, if you'd come, I don't have a timeline for you. I've told you multiple times within my own personal walk, God has given me this past year one or two steps, no more than that. Those of you that know me, I work in 10 to 15 steps. Thank you very much. I am extremely strategic. I've had one or maybe two steps. And every time I say, God, I need to know more, you just say, take care of those steps and I'll take care of the rest. I encourage you, this morning is not the time to do it, but go back and read from Genesis chapter 12 all the way down through. Read the story of Abraham. 
Watch how much that man walked. Based upon communication God gave him years before. And he just kept walking until God gave him the next step. Would you stand with me this morning? So here we are. And I know we've got it. We're very excited about Barbara getting baptized this morning, and we're going to celebrate that. That's going to be an exciting time, and I'm so excited and so honored. But before we turn to that, I'm not going to ask you to necessarily come into the altar because some of you are going to want some more space. And frankly, you probably are right. But I want us collectively, from the left side of this dome to the right side, and from the back to the front, I want us to basically, however you need to say it, however you need to communicate it, I need you to give up your desire to avoid whatever it is that you fear. Could be fear for yourself. Could be fear for your family. Could be fear for a place that you honor or love. It could be fear for this congregation. It could be fear for me. It could be fear for anything. Lions roar because it destabilizes their prey. That's why the devil goes about as a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's meant to cause fear. God hasn't been playing with us. I joke that I wish I'd have never preached that Chase the Lion series, but... Oh, I'm so glad I did. Because imagine going through all that we've gone through if we didn't know that. I want you, whether in this altar or in your pew, whether standing or kneeling, I'm calling all of us to say, God, I'll wander wherever you want me to wander. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I refuse to back away from the lion. I'm going to be crazy reliant on you. God, we're going so far out on the edge that unless you show up, I'm in trouble. I'm talking about what you do in your prayer walk. I'm talking about what you do with your giving. I'm talking about what you do with your jobs. I'm talking about what you do with your relationships. I'm talking about everything. Anything the Father places His hand on, you will listen to His call. You will do what He tells you to do. Because like Abraham, imperfectly, you are going to be radically reliant upon God. Can we lift our voices to him? Can we, 
can you create your altar of consecration right here? Folks, please let me understand. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to beef you up here, but this is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment in your life, and it's a pivotal moment in the life of this church. Not because I preach the sermon, but because God is calling us. It's not a new message, but it's a reminder. Because he's done the greatest things in this world through people who've been radically reliant upon him. They've cut all the other things that have held them up. They've cut all the other support systems away as he directed them to. And he's, they've gone and done what he directed them to do with no answer if it didn't work. Father in heaven, I love you today. Jesus, I know that this message is from you. God, I know these people are your people and that you love them. God, I know you have a will for this congregation. I know that you have good things in store for every single one of us. Oh, God, we can become so distracted by our fears. We can become so distracted by all the things we don't know the answer to. But you are the God for whom, as Mary said, Nothing is impossible. Hallelujah, hallelujah, this altar of consecration. We call out to you, Almighty God. Even if we lose family over this, even if we lose possessions over this, even if we lose relationships over this, God, we will follow you. The will of God at any cost. God, I know, I know, I know. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. This message is to give you permission to do what you've yearned to do in your spirit. This message is to give you permission to be crazy like he's called you to do. Is there a time for caution? Absolutely. Is there a time for patience? Absolutely. Is there a time for wisdom? Absolutely. But today there's no caveats. What he's been laying in your heart, what he's been speaking to you, what he's been calling you to. Today, it is radical reliance. Help us to walk in our Father Abraham's footsteps, oh God. Help us to believe you. Because, Lord, we're not righteous. No, not one. We can't perform well enough. We can't achieve it. We can't do it. God, I know that you're birthing within each of us your will. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you and I praise you, Jesus.
Give us the peace and the joy that passeth all understanding. Let the fruit of your spirit be present in our lives. Kindness and patience and love. Joy. Long-suffering. God, the millions of questions that run through our minds, help us, Lord, to hand them to you and to say, I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll be obedient to your voice. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Oh, mighty God, I love you and I believe in you. I trust you, God. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. God, I lift my voice to you in praise. I worship you. I submit to you. I believe in you. I place my hope in you, Lord Jesus. It is you and you alone that will make this happen. It is you and you alone who will make what you will for our lives come to pass. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. God, I love you, Lord, and I worship you. I praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you and I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. God, I magnify you and I worship you. God, I have confidence and trust in you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I worship you and I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. God, I worship you and I praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your name. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, in your name. God, touch Wesley, Lord Jesus. Meet his every need, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I hope that every single person here, and I know that there are newer folks with us, but many of you have been around a long time. This was not a message of correction. I don't feel in my spirit that at all. This was a message of encouragement to you. That which you felt within your spirit and that which you were, you were yearning for but, but, but not sure, you know, God, am I just losing my mind? Am I crazy? This is a message of encouragement, a reminder. This God can be trusted. This God can be trusted. You should go back through your past and find all the examples of his faithfulness. But folks, those don't always cut it because when he asks for the next big thing, the past doesn't measure up. Anybody notice that? I'm not telling you that I'm not telling you that you shouldn't hold on to those things and encourage yourself, but sometimes it, it sometimes it gets so crazy, it just gets so out there. He just calls for something that is so beyond anything he's ever done before that it is literally you're gonna have to be radical. You're just going to have to be crazy. But you're a crazy bunch of people. I've pastored here a long time. You are a crazy bunch of people. And I'm not deceived by how you look. Learned that a long time ago. Did you know that we had a biker chick in this church? Look at Sister Susan. Does she look like a biker chick? Look at her. She's the sweetest lady, kind, gentle. She's a biker chick. I'm not kidding you. That was one of the moments, Sister Susan, where I went, okay, I'm not making any judgments on externals anymore. She come riding up on her. Was it a Harley? That was a Honda. You learned on a Honda. So when you drove up, it was on a Honda. Did you later have a Harley? Yeah, I thought so. See, I, I knew you eventually progressed up to that. I learned a long time ago. Brother Brian is one of the most affable guys you've ever met. Isn't he a nice guy? Don't you like talking to him? That is one of the most bullheaded men I've ever met in my life. Can I get an amen, Sister Lynn? God likes bullheaded men. They do great things for him. Wants to get it submitted to God. And I know because I are one. Folks, I'm telling you, you're a crazy bunch. Today was simply a message saying, yep, this year it's time to go crazy. Radical reliance. So I hope you didn't take it as correction because I don't feel it as correction. I feel it's encouragement that we should feel lifted in our spirits. I didn't say the fear is all gone. But we're encouraged to be radical, reliant upon God. All right, it's baptism time.